Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where now, here's Frank, Scott, Chris, and Adam. Honestly, I had this whole intro ready about unwritten rules of baseball and this whole situation with Fernando Tatis, but screw that. We had a near-no-hitter on Tuesday night from our boy, Kenta Maeda. Welcome to Fantasy Baseball Today, Auto Wednesday, August 19th. Frank Stanfield alongside Scott White. And Scott, we often talk about Maeda's pitch counts. Well, this is one way to stay in game, Scott. You just don't give up any hits, right? Eight innings pitched the final line. He took a no-hitter into the ninth inning. He did allow a hit to the first batter that he faced in that inning. Two walks, 12 strikeouts, 26 swinging strikes on 115 pitches. He entered this game as a top 12 starting pitcher in fantasy points per game. Scott, I know that you have the trade chart coming out on Wednesday, as you do every single week. How high do you foresee Kenta Maeda moving up those starting pitcher ranks? Ah, yes, because I wasn't already working on it before this happened, and uh, I have to revisit it now. No, I mean, you, you said it with the pitch count thing, because that he'd been great up to this point this year, but the the way we were hoping he'd take a leap forward, he hadn't actually demonstrated yet because he'd been so efficient. He'd been just throwing 85 pitches every time, basically. 115 in this start, uh, going eight innings, actually eight plus. 12 strikeouts. You mentioned the 26 swinging strikes. He has been secondary heavy all year. Like fastball usage is down. So he's actually made some changes to his arsenal this year in addition to... Uh, uh, I know he's never thrown a complete game before, but we weren't seeing him throw many eight-inning starts with the Dodgers or going six innings with the consistency he has so far. Yeah, so yeah, he looks like... I think this start is the clearest indication yet he is taking that step and and becoming a true frontline pinch pitcher, Kenta Maeda. Uh, yeah, he's probably on the verge of the top 20. So I got like rounding out the top 20. I have like Carlos Carrasco, Chris Paddock, Frankie Montas, and Dylan Bundy, who both uh, turned in their worst starts of the season today. Oh, yeah. I, I think Kenta Maeda's right in that range. And I'm not exactly sure where I'll slot him within it. But yeah, he's a stud. All right. So we're not moving him all the way up into that you know, Giolito Darvis range yet, right? He's not like top 15, but top 20, top 25 is, you know, a legitimate, you know, SP2, SP3. Yeah. I mean, yeah, like, I mean we still, still got to wonder if he wasn't throwing a no-hitter, would they have let him throw 115 pitches? And uh, I I think they would, but it, it remains, it remains just a theory. It Theoretical. does. 
We shall see what happens with Maeda, uh, but he has been ridiculous. And Scott, I know you had him as a breakout candidate entering the season. Another pitcher that I like, Scott. I, I think I just have to like trust myself more and just don't draft Joe Musgrove. That's that was obviously the biggest issue. Even though, every time I bring up Musgrove, I'm somehow wearing this Pittsburgh uh, Pirate shirt, which you can see on our Fantasy Baseball Today YouTube channel. But I liked Maeda coming into the year. I liked Dylan Bundy. I have maybe one of each. Like, I just don't know how I didn't end up in, with these guys. I should have had more of them. But ultimately, uh, both have been great. We'll talk about Bundy a little bit later on. Uh, Kent Maeda didn't wind up with the win, Scott, because Taylor Rogers wound up blowing the game. He allowed two hits, two runs. Only one of those were earned. The defense really did not help him. Uh, they tried to turn a double play, and, and the throw went awry, and then they wound up scoring the, the tying run on that play. So it wasn't really his fault, but it was still bases loaded, so he wasn't great. You know, What's your panic level? You know, We're going to do worryometer today on the show. What's your, uh, what's your worryometer level for Taylor Rogers? Would you be rushing to go out and add someone like Sergio Romo? Uh, I think in leagues where saves are scarce, Romo should probably be rostered by this point. He has three saves compared to Rogers five, even without any, you know, any official changing of the role there. You know, Rogers has been pretty shaky recently in it. And I, I know his previous outing, he didn't work the night. He actually, I think he technically set up for, uh, well, I guess he worked the seventh. I, I don't know his, the way the, the way the twins have been using Taylor Rogers recently is, uh, is less than traditional for a closer. So they're already kind of getting creative with the role there. And Sergio Romo has clearly established himself as, as the next in line for saves. And Rogers has had a couple of these shaky outings recently. So, you know, I'm, I'm not saying Sergio Romo is the closer now, but it's already not a, a situation where just one guy is getting all the saves. And if Rogers does lose some of Rocky, Rocco Baldelli's trust, then you know you'll be happy you already have Sergio Romo stashed away. Uh, Sergio Romo has made eight appearances thus far, a two point two five ERA, a zero point three eight WHIP. Thirty seven years old, continues to get it done. Thirteen and a half Ks per nine, with. 1.13 walks per nine. Again, that is Sergio Romo. So if you are in need of saves or if you own Taylor Rogers, specifically in a Roto League, I, I probably would go out and make it a priority to get Sergio Romo on my team. Oh, you know what? I did have that right. In his last appearance, Taylor Rogers pitched the eighth and Romo pitched the ninth. So he set up for Taylor, for Sergio Romo last appearance. It was, it was kind of a head scratcher. I didn't make much of it. But I mean, I, I just I don't think the twins are going to follow the uh, the traditional route here at the end of games. Yeah, I remember looking into this. I believe it happened on Sunday, and it was that Taylor Rogers was facing two lefties in the eighth inning, and there were two righties due up in the ninth. So they went lefty on lefty with Rogers in the eighth. He set up for Romo. Uh, Romo pitched a perfect ninth, um, and he was there to to go up against the righties. So. Uh, yeah, I think you're right. I don't think that they're just, you know, they just have set roles anymore there in Minnesota. Scott, I don't want to spend too much time on this unwritten rules story regarding Fernando Tatis, but we spoke about the double dong on yesterday's podcast, and it was obviously the talk all over Twitter and every sports radio show, everywhere you turn, people are talking about this situation. And I, I will just say, you need to realize that 
if you agree with this that this whole situation that you know Fernando Tatis should not be swinging 3-0 that this is major league baseball like this is not little league baseball this is not you know we're trying to teach sportsmanship this is the highest level of baseball that there is on the planet so you have the opportunity to enhance a lead I, I don't care what it is, what the situation is. You know, you, you have a problem with Tati swinging there? You know, with th- uh, 3-0 with the bases loaded? Then don't throw him a strike. Don't throw him a pitch to hit. Intentionally walk him. Or or don't get to a 3-0 count. So, I just thought it was ridiculous, uh, it's, Scott. It's, it's unbelievably stupid. And, you know, based on comments we've seen from other managers around the game, other players, not just Trevor Bauer, but including Trevor Bauer, like it, it seems like the only people who seem to think Tatis did anything wrong by by swinging at a 3-0 pitch and hitting a grand slam with a seven-run lead, which, you know, seven-run leads are are known to be lost at times. Exactly. Um, <laughs> the only two people who seem to think he did anything wrong were the two managers in that game, uh, oh, as gosh. far as I've seen. Everybody else seems to be suggesting otherwise. So hopefully... Uh, hopefully it's, hopefully everybody can just agree it's stupid and move on. But like, it doesn't even make any sense, right? Like to me, the ruder thing to do in that situation, three Oh count with a seven run lead uh, that will prolong the game needlessly is try to work a walk, you know, like not swinging seems to me even ruder than swinging if we're trying to just hurry through this embarrassing loss for the Rangers or whatever. Like, I hate those situations in real life where in your head you've decided this is the polite thing to do, but then the way it's interpreted is is, is completely the opposite and you just look like a, a D-bag, you know? <laughs> I don't know. I can, I can relate to that. All right, Scotty. A lot of action on Tuesday. Let's jump in. Oh, my good, goodness gracious. Who do you got, Scott? A standout, whether positive or negative, from Tuesday's action. There is so much that happened. It's it's really hard to wrap my head around it and to hammer it down to anything that stood out as significantly over the others, except for that Maeda start. I'm going to go with Frankie Montas, though, on the other end of the spectrum. I already referred to it, it being his worst start of the season. It was dreadful. It was, it was bad in every way a, a start could be bad. Uh, so Frankie Montas, obviously he missed his last turn because of some, because of, uh, some tightness in his upper back and he only went one and two thirds innings, six hits, nine earned runs, four walks and one strikeout. He only threw six splitters. So he was back to doing that thing, but you know, I don't even know that I can take that much away from it because like so many bad things were happening. I'm just not sure he had a chance to get around to the splitter, you know, um, I, I don't, you know, you assume you, you can assume maybe rust had something to do with it. You can assume maybe his back was still feeling a little tight and that was impacting him mechanically or whatever. It just, I, it, to me, I, I don't know what else to do other than just shrug it off though. Like it was, it was a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad start from a guy who entered the day with a one fifty seven ERA and now it's 474, but I, I, I'm, I'm just going to trust he'll come around next time and, and chalk this one up as something that happens during the usually long, not quite as long this year, baseball season. 
Uh, Frankie Montas, yeah, look, he was scratched from his start on Friday, so I don't know that he was healthy for this one. Maybe it was the chance. It was that he had the long layoff and you know hadn't pitched in a while, but. Less than two innings, 1.2. He recorded five outs, six hits, nine earned runs, four walks, and one strikeout. For those keeping track at home, that is minus 18.5 fantasy points. If you play in a Roto League or a Head-to-Head Categories League, that's a 48.60 ERA and a 6.00 whip. I saw this quote from Bob Melvin earlier today. He just looked a little amped, you know, jumping a little bit. At times, trying to find the right arm slot, spiking some balls, hanging some pitches. It was probably a product of not pitching in a while. And with that, Scott, I will say, if anybody in your league is freaking out over Frankie Montas or they just want to spitefully get rid of him, I will easily buy Frankie Montas right now. I think if you can turn like Kyle Hendricks, Zach Wheeler, James Paxton, or like Aaron Savale, one of those names into Montas, I would do it in a heartbeat. I agree. My, oh my goodness gracious, player of the night, really, player of the day, pitched during the day, Scott, Antonio Senzatella at Houston, eight innings pitched, three hits, zero earned, zero walks, six strikeouts, has now allowed two runs or less in four of five starts this season. Fastball velocity is up. The slider has been very effective. 60% rostered on CBS, Scott, I think the collective mindset here has been skepticism regarding Senzatella, considering his rostership to this point. But he's performing. So, like, at what point do we just buy into it, Scott? Uh, I'm not to that point. I could buy into him as a streamer. And I actually did advise him for head-to-head point leagues only in my two-start sleeper or my two-star pitcher rankings for this upcoming week, seeing that he had two road starts. But that's the thing for Sensatella. Like, I can look and see, okay, his his whiff rate is up this year. His curveball and slider both look better. You know, it's still not a good whiff rate. The ground ball rate is decent, okay. Like, I can look at Sensatella's profile, and I can start to see maybe some, some uh, you know, kind of the outline of a respectable pitcher. But then you have to factor in that he pitches half his games at Coors Field. And it's just like, okay, is is that is that guy where you're starting to see something halfway useful going to survive in that environment? Probably not. Probably not. It's it's very similar to Kyle Freeland in that way. And I don't want to be – I don't want to be caught holding the – whatever it is you hold in that situation, the hose <laughs> – or the spatula. I, I can't. I don't remember what the, the phrase is, but is I don't want to like be caught hand, holding it when it all comes crashing down. Hand in the cookie jar. Is that what it is? I I, I don't think so. But that <laughs> that probably works. Uh, yeah, I'm buying it a little bit more. I don't. I don't think he's anything more than a stream. I agree. Like it's. I'm going to be hesitant to start him at home, but in the right matchups, you know how he's pitched thus far. The swinging strike rate, career high to this point. He is getting a lot of ground balls. The fastball velocity up around 95 miles per hour. I'm buying into Sensatella a little bit more. I think if you picked him up for a two-star week, I probably wouldn't drop him. I would probably just hold on to him and you know see what he does in that second start. Again, that is Antonio Sensatella. Today on the show, by the way, we'll have some worryometer uh, and a lot more action to get to that happened regarding Tuesday. Some Apple podcast review questions later on in the show. Hopefully, we can get to those as well. News and notes 
Earlier on Tuesday, I'm I'm sorry, Scott. Jordan Alvarez was finally placed on the IL due to right knee discomfort. I I guess we just hold, right, Scott? I mean, there's there's nothing you could do. I don't I don't think anyone's buying Jordan Alvarez. I guess I <laughs> right. guess you just hold them. And I don't think anybody's dropping Jordan Alvarez either. Getting a second opinion. I, I think it's just something he's going to be dealing with for at least the rest of this year. And, um, you know, you'll have to be very careful even when he's back setting your lineup with the minute. Luis Robert left Tuesday's game while making a diving attempt in the outfield. X-rays turned up negative, so you can breathe a sigh of relief. Cross your fingers for now regarding Luis Robert. J.D. Martinez left Tuesday's game due to dehydration. They are set to play an early game Wednesday, so I'm not sure Martinez will be ready and in the lineup for that one. Paul DeYoung and Yadier Molina have been cleared to resume workouts for the Cardinals. They've been on the COVID IL uh, since the Cardinals have returned, we all know the situation that went on with with St. Louis. The Atlanta Braves placed Nick Markakis on the COVID IL out of an abundance of caution after he came in contact with somebody who tested positive. Scott, and correct me if you know how to say this person's name, I believe it's Christian Pache. Is that correct? So the way they were pronouncing it on the Braves broadcast was Pache. Pache. Kristen Pache will be promoted, who is one of the top prospects in the organization, Scott, but he is more so known for his defense. So what is your interest level from a fantasy perspective? I mean, this is a really interesting prospect because he ranks very highly and his defense is off the charts. I mean, that is that is the best tool he brings to the table and maybe that earns him that goes a long way to earning him the rankings he, he he gets, but he like he doesn't strike out much, and his power has greatly improved the past couple years. It's still not to the point where you look at his minor league numbers and say, okay, those are impressive. But like very young player with a ton of athleticism who's sharply trending up in terms of uh, in terms of what we're seeing at the plate, and you just wonder could he explode one day with like stud production. I mean, there there are some scouts who think that's in the uh, in the offing for Pache, and who knows what he was doing at minor league camp. That's that's what we're going to face with all these minor league promotions this year. I, based on where he was at the end of last year, I can't get terribly excited about picking him up. Uh, you know, especially given the tons and tons of outfielders who emerged on the waiver wire just in the past week. So. Three outfielder leagues, I'm probably not even looking at Pache. I mean, we don't know how long he's going to stick around. I mean, Nick Markakis could be back in two days, and if Pache hasn't really had a chance to make an impression yet, maybe he gets sent back out, but maybe not. Five outfielder leagues, probably take a flyer, see where it goes. Last year, in 130 games between AA and AAA, Pache triple slash 277, 340, 462, with 12 homers and eight steals. I agree that in five outfielder leagues, I would be looking into speculatively adding Pache, but I think he's behind names that we've talked about recently, like Randall Grichuk, who had another big game on Tuesday, Cole Calhoun. Uh, Scott, Pache or Robbie Grossman? Grossman. Okay. So, yeah, he's not really a high priority as of now, but let's see what happens with him once he gets called up. Charlie Morton threw a 
successful bullpen on Tuesday. He might be ready to join the team this weekend. Of course, he is dealing with a shoulder injury. Mike Moustakis is expected to be activated from the injured list on Wednesday. He was dealing with a bruised quad. White Sox manager Rick Renteria said Tuesday that he's optimistic Yasmani Grandal, who tweaked his back, will be able to return to action, quote, by the end of the week. George Springer was scratched from Tuesday's lineup due to this lingering issue with his wrist. So we've seen this with a few guys now. It happened with Ronald Acuna. Uh, George Springer sat out last weekend. It seemed like he was in the clear because he at least started, or it might have been two weekends ago. But he, he had been back. He hasn't really been performing well, so... This might be the cause of that for George Springer. Uh, Rays prospect Brendan McKay requires season-ending shoulder surgery. David Dahl was scratched from Tuesday's lineup against the Astros due to lower back tightness. Scott, can we drop David Dahl for like any of these outfielders that we've been talking about recently? Because A, he's not performing, and B, he's now dealing with another injury, which is a common theme with David Dahl. I would still bet on David Dahl making a worthwhile fantasy contribution before the season's done. But, you know, it depends on who you'd be dropping him for. So I actually ranked 10 of the recent surgers on the waiver wire at outfield. And, you know, a guy like Jesse Winker, uh, Anthony Santander, of course, Anthony Santander is up to like 90% uh, being rostered in 90% of leagues. Just you know, from being added so much in the last week that that's probably goes without saying you dropped all for him, but Jesse Winker, Anthony Santander, Nick Senzel, Ian Happ, Garrett Hampson, even I'd probably drop doll for, uh, and then you get to like Dominic Smith and Dylan Carlson among that group of outfielders I ranked and doll is somewhere in there probably for me rest of season. Dominic Smith, if I knew he was playing every day, he would be an easy call over David Dahl as well. But, you know, we haven't seen the Mets face a left-hander in a long time, and we still don't really know how they're going to use Smith in that scenario. Uh, Justin Verlander played catch on Monday, actually, for the first time uh, since going down with a forearm strain in his season debut. So that would be uh, a nice little get if you've been holding on to Justin Verlander. So another situation to pay attention to. Worryometer Wednesday. And let's stick with the Astros. Jose Altuve, Scott. A lot of people submitting Jose Altuve. He's betting 176. He's got a 196 Babbitt, a 220 expected batting average, a career high 22% strikeout rate. We actually received this from Jay Dilla13 on our Apple Podcast reviews. He said in all caps, Altuve, help me. What do I do with this guy? Scott, what what do we do with this guy? And one to ten, what's your worryometer on Jose Altuve? Well, it being a short season, I'm a little more worried than I would be if it was a full-length season because we're... I don't know how many, exactly how many games the Astros have played. I know some teams are at like 25 games, so we're nearing the halfway point of the season already. Um, and it's not just... In Altuve's case, it's not just the, the base production that suffered, but the underlying numbers that don't look so great either. I still bet on the track record in the long run, but what is the long run at this point? Um, I, I, I would be willing to dangle him in trades, but you know, I wouldn't want to accept too much of a discount. I, you would have to find somebody who is even more, uh, even more, you know, 
subscribing to the track record even more than I am, which is hard to do. So I don't have a problem with benching him. I would not drop him. I would not take nickels on the dollar for him, but I'm a little concerned. He does have three homers, 13 runs, 10 RBI, and two steals. So even with the 176 batting average, he's still kind of making things happen. Uh, but ultimately, you know, he's been dropped in the lineup as well. He's been batting sixth and seventh yeah, recently. Upon his own request, he, 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 he recognizes he's uh, not swinging the bat up to his usual standards, which is encouraging. I mean, if the first step to fixing a problem is admitting you have one, right? <laughs> So Fantasy uh, I, I, I trust he's going to get it figured out. I'm just not sure how much of the season will be left when he does or if it'll even happen. And you know, the, the little amount of season that's left. Scott, would you trade Jose Altuve straight up for Keston Hira? If you can make that happen. Well, Keston Hira is not off to a roaring start either. He is not, but I probably would. Would you do it for Mike Moustakis? Who's getting set to return and has been performing well. When he's in the lineup. Yeah, I don't think I'd go that far. I think I'd take Altuve still. Okay, so it sounds like you're dropping Altuve down your rankings a little bit, but not down to like the Mike Moustakis level, which is, you know, borderline top 10, top 12. I don't mind benching uh, Altuve either. If you can pick up someone who's hot like Robinson Cano, just play Cano for now. Uh, But that's something that I would look into. Did you give a 1 to 10, Scott, on Altuve? Um... Six, I think that's a I guess. Fair, I think it's a know. fair Just number. Just pulling a number out of the blue. This this worryometer isn't calibrated yet. <laughs> this whole season isn't calibrated, Scott. Eugenio Suarez is batting one twenty three with a one fifty eight BABIP, a twenty seven point five percent hard contact rate. That's been up over forty percent each of the past two years. Scott, maybe we didn't put enough stock into the fact that he did have shoulder surgery just a couple of months ago and was expected to miss the start of the regular season back in March, if it was going to start then. What is your worryometer level on Eugenio Suarez? Probably like a four. Um, There are a lot of underachieving third basemen at the start of the season. That was supposed to be, this was supposed to be the deepest year ever for it. You know, if, if there wasn't that shoulder issue, to consider that happened when did that happen february january it was a long time ago at this point but nonetheless shoulder injuries can take a while to come back from to regain the swing completely you know if that wasn't there then there would be little concern at all and again i i think in the long run he'll be fine it's it's just it you know i i would have expected him to come around by now too yeah I'm so a- i'll give that a four I'm a little more worried about him than I am Altuve. I'll, I'll put it at a seven just because I don't know that there's enough time this season for him to get going and to see that you know shoulder improve if that's what he's actually dealing with. I'm honestly just speculating there. But we have seen you know shoulder injuries affect some guys returning in the past, especially from a power perspective, and he only has two home runs. Uh, so far, and that's not normal out of Eugenio Suarez. So, uh, like Altuve, I, I don't think I would drop him, Scott, but I'm I'm probably willing to bench him. Your top five third baseman, by the way, Kyle Seager, Jose Ramirez, David Fletcher, Anthony Rendon, and Yuli Gurriel. Well, those are the top three. 
You said your, like those were my rankings. Those, oh, no, no, those no, no, the no. Top Just five based on like performance so far. Our, like <laughs> any, anyone who plays fantasy, fantasy. baseball. <laughs> fantasy baseball is top five third baseman. What a group. Kyle Seeger there. Yeah. I the mean, top. that's. That's what I'm saying. And and Rendon's up there, even though he's batting just a little over 200, right? Uh, yes. Actually, I have some notes on Rendon. He's actually... Oh, 254 now. ...been way better than we realized. He had two more hits on Tuesday. He has an eight-game hitting streak, 13 hits during that eight-game streak, five homers during that streak. He's now batting 254, and his OPS is over 1,000. <laughs> over 1,000. <000. laughs> so it's like... <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. There's, okay, I <laughs> I retract any uh, Anthony Rendon slander there. Yeah, Anthony Rendon, he's uh he's quite good. I think he's fine. Scott Cody Bellinger, it seemed like we had some signs over the weekend that he was coming around. He's still he's batting one eighty one, one seventy six BABIP. I don't think he's all of a sudden a bad player, but I don't think he's going to live up to expectations. I I don't think that's a hot take. I think that. Him tweaking his swing has kind of thrown him off to start the season. He's still making a lot of contact, but his the elite level contact that we saw last year, he is nowhere near that level. So I'm yeah, a little bit more worried about out at all. And yeah. I I really don't have any concerns. This would be a one on the worryometer for me. I did drop him behind Mookie Betts rest of season for whatever that's worth. But I would I would definitely be buying low on Cody Ballinger. Scott. Reese Hoskins finally homered. Gosh, we buried the lead. How, how, how far are we into this? 30 minutes into the podcast, Scott. We didn't even talk about Reese Hoskins. Yeah. Who finally got off the schneid and hit his first homer. I, I still think better days are coming for Hoskins. I mean, people are freaking out. I, I've told a few people you can drop Hoskins for Luke Voigt. That's a few questions that we've received recently. Uh, but worryometer on Reese Hoskins, Scott. Uh, <laughs> let's see here. Wow, he has a really good line drive rate. What's that about? Um, I don't know. Like, I don't know how good Reese Hoskins is. Uh, five. Yeah, the line drive rate is high for him. 30 Right around You're asking 30%. me about all these players. I didn't research ahead of the show, Frank. <laughs> this is difficult. <laughs> this is like a pop quiz. I'm sorry, Scott. <laughs> it's okay. I forgive you. Um, the one thing Reese Hoskins is always going to do is walk, and, and the strikeouts are down. So I, I was kind of the Reese Hoskins guy. It's not like I was going out on a limb entering the season that you know I had to have him, but the hard contact is 46% this year. Good ballpark to hit in. 31% line drive rate. Like, that's up. He's walking a lot. The strikeouts are down. The expected batting average is, is up this year. It's like around 250. I, I think better days are coming for Hoskins. So, like, if someone drops him in your league, I would be willing to pick him up, or you could probably get him for dirt cheap right now. So, that is one that I, I am more optimistic on. And Hoskins, I'll give him a, I'll give him a three. It's got Mitch Garver. Mitch Garver is someone who has struggled mightily. You know, Scott, at this point, would you drop Mitch Garver for Pedro Severino? That seems like a question we're getting a lot. I would not, but I can understand why you might be tired of having Mitch Garver in your lineup and want to uh, to bench him. It's difficult to carry two catchers. 
I just think there are so few that are can come anywhere close to the upside Mitch Garver has already demonstrated. And like, I mean, the problem with all of this is 20, 25 games. It's still too small of a sample to know much of anything. And like, we get back to the same problem of a season's almost halfway over, but the season's only a month in, you know? And it's like, ah, and I, I'd still rather bank on true talent than just some hot hand off the waiver wire. Yeah. It's just a catcher position. It's right. It's I, it I understand. Like, so why not stick with like, he's not the even expectation is your catcher is going to stink. Mitch Garver is stinking, but he could be awesome from tomorrow on. You know, and it's like, how many catchers can you say that about? Yeah, and it's a great lineup. The problem, he hasn't been playing as much recently, mm-hmm. but it's like, look at this position right now. Top five, Real Muto, Pedro Severino, Salvador Perez, Martin Maldonado. Like, what are you going to do? Are Martin you going to... Martin Maldonado's fourth. <laughs> he's fourth. He's the fourth highest scoring catcher in, fa- in, in like head-to-head points. He's like hitter every year. It's like, what are you going to do? Are you going to drop Mitch Garver for Martin Maldonado? Of course not. Like, are you going to drop him for Austin Nola? Like, I mean, I don't know how widely available Travis Darno is. He's probably, probably not. He's probably not that available, right? He he might be available in one catcher leagues. Uh, but, Travis Darno yeah, is a fair uh, amount too. He's eighty four percent rostered. Travis Darno. So, what was that number? Eighty four. He's probably 84. not available. Yeah. Uh, Austin Nola has been pretty good, and he is. 39% rostered. So that's, you know, if you're needing a short-term fill-in, ultimately I have more faith in Garver though. Fair enough, Scott. All right. Drop a five-star Apple podcast review and leave a question. We'll answer it here on the podcast. We appreciate your support as usual and join our fantasy baseball today. Facebook group, lots of interactions, lots of questions and discussions going on there. Facebook.com slash groups slash fantasy baseball today. Once again, we really do appreciate it. All right, we're going to take a break here. we come back, we're going to go over some of the top action from Tuesday here on Fantasy Baseball Today. Tuesday standouts, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Let's start with some of the good. Zach Granke on the other side of Antonio Senzatella up against the Rockies. Eight innings pitched, three hits, zero earned runs, zero walks, seven strikeouts. He averaged 88.3 miles per hour on the fastball, which was a season high. I don't know that there's anything to add here, Scott, outside of Zach Greinke is who he is. He's a top 20 starting pitcher. That's fine. Blake Snell at the Yankees. Scott, anything you wanted to add there? I was just going to say, and now his ERA is 184, even though his velocity is down, you know, basically 88 for the season. <laughs> velocity doesn't matter with Zach Greinke. We, he's a different animal. Yeah, unlike Madison Bumgarner, he's find a way to... Uh, push through it and continue to pitch well. Uh, Blake Snell at the Yankees, five innings pitch, four hits, three earned, two walks, and three strikeouts. Up to 92 pitches, Scott. I like to see that out of Blake Snell. He wasn't you know, terribly efficient, 13 swinging strikes. Uh, it was a solid start, but I liked that the pitch count is being built up. Yeah, this is up. 92 is up from 70 was his previous high, so he appears to be fully stretched out now. And that's going to make Blake Snell probably must start going forward. Yeah, and I think even after his last start with with the five really strong innings, I think we were kind of all in agreement that, like, yeah, now is the time to get Blake Snell back in your lineup. But if you needed one extra budge push in that direction, 
Uh, you got it here from Blake Snell for the Tampa Bay Rays as well. Brandon Lau, just worth mentioning. Another three-run home run. He's now up to eight home runs and 23 steals. Given the injuries at the position, I was updating my rankings today. Uh, Brandon Lau found his way inside my top 10 second baseman. So uh, with how good he's been, I, I don't think you can really argue it at this point. It's got two pitchers that I don't know that we saw both of these guys pitching well, but it turned into a pitcher's duel. Tony Gonsolin going up against Marco Gonzalez, the Dodgers and the Mariners for Gonsolin. Six shutout innings, two hits, zero walks, three strikeouts. Uh, the velocity has actually been up for Gonsolin uh, overall this season. And specifically in this start, he had nine swinging strikes on 84 pitches. He is rostered in 32% of leagues. And on the other side, Marco Gonzalez, seven innings, five hits, one earned, zero walks, nine strikeouts. Command has been huge for Marco Gonzalez this year. Just three walks in five starts. He has quality starts in three of his last four. Scott, is Tony Gonsolin your waiver wire pitcher of the night? He's only 32% rostered. Well, I'm not riding waiver wire tonight, so I hadn't actually picked out anybody. But just from a perspective of what I look to add him, probably, probably. That's kind of the way starting pitcher is right now, where if anybody has a good start, they're basically moving into the top 50 because there are only about 50 starting pitchers that are worthwhile. And I have Casey Mize in my top 50. I have Rich Hill in my top 50. Like the nobody beyond that is trustworthy on any level. So you're just chasing the, the next hot thing, which might be Gonsolin, uh, particularly if Stripling is on his way out of the rotation. And uh, the thing about Gonsolin too, is he has a really good slider. That's his best swing and miss pitch. He's hardly been using it this year. He's mostly been fastball splitter. So, you know, there's more strikeout potential than he's even shown so far. Scott, do we need to start to move Marco Gonzalez up the ranks? It's it's like you don't want to be excited about him. He throws like 89, 90 miles per hour. He's not terribly exciting. But, I mean, to go into L.A. and do this against the Dodgers, it's, it's pretty eye-catching. Yeah, it is. And like I said, there's only about 50 trustworthy starting pitchers. So is, is Gonzalez on the fringes of that group? I don't see why he wouldn't be. He has had an ERA right around four the last two years. 16 wins in one of those seasons, 13 in the other. You know, not a great whip, not a great strikeout rate, but just just solid enough that he deserves to be starting for somebody probably, even on a bad team. Uh, Luke Weaver, Scott. Not that... <laughs> You talk about these top 50 pitchers worth trusting. I don't think Luke Weaver is in that mix, but that's just the way pitching has gone this year. Five innings of one-run ball, six strikeouts against the Oakland A's, nine swinging strikes on 87 pitches. Uh, seven of those came on the four seam, which averaged a season-high 95 miles per hour in this start. Uh, the cutter and the curve still gave up a lot of hard contact. He's 49% rostered, Scott. Yep. I'm not there yet with Luke Weaver, but it was encouraging to see a bounce-back performance against a pretty good Oakland A's lineup. You know, he has a better swinging strike rate, Luke Weaver does, this year than last year when he appeared to be breaking out. And his fastball itself has been a lot better. His Luke Weaver's problem this year is just that he's given up a ton of long balls. And, and you know, as we know from Matthew Boyd, you can't, no matter how well you're doing everything else, you can't survive if you're giving up 
he, he, he entered this game with like four home runs per nine. It was just a stupid rate. Uh, and obviously that rate won't continue. Obviously, I don't think he allowed a single home run in this start. And look what happened. He had a very good line. So, you know, I don't think all hope is lost for Luke Weaver. I think there's still a good pitcher in there, but can't keep giving up home runs to the extent he has so far. Scott, your boy, Alec Bohm, which we found out it was Bohm. It's not bomb, which is kind of, you know, yeah, it's not great. I got boomed. Yeah, you got boomed, right? (laughs) Uh, But he had two hits on Tuesday, has just two strikeouts and two walks over his first five games. So he's making a lot of contact. And for the most part, Rookies that we keep getting excited excited about that have been called up. Like, we'll talk about Scooball, Scooble in a second. Uh, but he went just two innings and allowed four earned runs, so he wasn't great. For the most part, I feel like we've been hyping up these rookies, but they haven't performed. Boom, very small sample, has somewhat performed well this to this point, Scott. Uh, yeah. Yeah, he ha- I mean, there's he hasn't done anything huge, but in in terms of the base skills like his his time in the majors hasn't betrayed what we thought he had there and it leads me to believe good numbers are right around the corner and you know the same could be said for Dylan Carlson even though he's been up longer and it seems like he's done nothing like he's he's making contact at a consistent rate it's it seems to be contact of a good quality uh, i i'm not really losing faith on Dylan Carlson yet either Dylan Carlson I know that in the doubleheader they played, I believe it was on Tuesday, he went 0 for 7 with three strikeouts. So uh, that wasn't great. I'm trying to pull Not up. a great day, but overall, he's hasn't been striking out a lot. He was batting sixth in the lineup on Tuesday. He went 1 for 4 with a single. So we'll see on Dylan Carlson. Hopefully... Um, Hopefully he does something because uh, he was someone that we were all uh, pretty excited about. Scott, did you know that Bryce Harper was a top five hitter in fantasy points per game entering Tuesday? He hit a three-run homer, his fifth of the season. Bryce Harper. Pretty now, that's a guy who hasn't been striking out much either, and that's that's an interesting development for him because I'd basically given up on Bryce Harper as a you know above-average contributor or batting average because the strikeout rate had risen to a level where it just didn't seem like it would be uh, a possibility for him. It's way down this year. He actually has more walks than strikeouts. Which, so, yeah, that's... Uh, I mean, obviously, he's a stud. But, yeah, maybe maybe this goes down as one of his best seasons, at least percentage-wise. Yeah, and, you know, it's always... You know, his production is always tied to strikeouts. The past couple of seasons, you know, he's been dipping a little bit because of the lack of contact. But when he makes contact, it's really, really strong contact. So uh, if he just continues to, you know, uh, avoid those strikeouts, then we, yeah, we could be looking at a massive season here for Bryce Harper. He's got the Toronto Blue Jays. Randall Grichuk and Travis Shaw, two hits each. Both of them homered on Tuesday night. And, you know, I spoke about being interested in Grichuk, which I am. I'm also somewhat interested in Travis Shaw, who's just 8% rostered. Uh, his StatCast page is very interesting. 92.5 mile per hour average exit velocity, the highest of his career, hitting a lot of line drives. He's hitting lefties hard as well. He's performed very well against them. Next week, he has seven games. I'm kind of interested in Travis Shaw. I mean, with all these players struggling, like you need someone who's hot right now. I, I'm interested in Travis Shaw. I'm not... 
there yet. I mean, there are some encouraging there there is some encouraging data there for Travis Shaw, especially coming off an awful season. But the biggest problem for Travis Shaw last season is that he just struck out way, 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 way too much, like double the previous year. And that's still going on. In fact, a strikeout rate, at least heading into Tuesday, was even higher than last year. Yeah, 35%. That was that's the one drawback that I've seen in his profile so far, but you know, lots of line drives making hard contact. Uh, I think as a, a name to pay attention to, but if you uh, if you want to pivot off of like a Suarez who's not been great and doesn't do anything the rest of this week, I don't think yeah. it's crazy. I, I'd stick with Suarez over Shaw personally, but to each his own. Scott Dylan Cease going up against the Tigers, someone that you did recommend as a two-star pitcher this week. Six and a third, two earned, two walks, three strikeouts, 13 swinging strikes on 104 pitches. This is now four straight starts of two earned runs or less. Remember last time out, he allowed five runs. Only one of those were earned, but four straight starts allowing two earned runs or less for Dylan C. Scott. Now he has definitely benefited from this uh, central only schedule, particularly <laughs> the AL central. This It was a second straight start against the Tigers. He also had a start against the Royals two starts against the Indians and one of those actually those two starts against the Indians uh one he had five walks and the other was just a plain bad start in terms of in terms of something other than just earned runs allowed this was the most encouraging start for Dylan Cease because he did have he did uh show demonstrate good stuff. He only only ended up with three strikeouts, but he had 14 swinging strikes and he threw his slider like 40% of the time. It's his best swing and miss pitch. It might be a better pitch selection for him moving forward, but mostly with Cease, I'm just waiting for him to have a tough matchup finally and see if he can pull out a quality start in that because I'm very skeptical of the overall line for Dylan Cease to this point. Uh, The one thing that I've liked the most from Cease this year is that he had one uh, start against Cleveland where he allowed five walks. Outside of that, the command has actually been pretty good. Like, he hasn't been walking too many. He had two walks tonight. Uh, but, you know, outside of that one performance against Cleveland, the walks have actually been down, which is, you know, really what I was paying attention to most for Dylan Cease heading into this season because he has struggled mightily with walks in the past. All right, those were some of the good performances from Tuesday. Let's hit the bad and the ugly, Scott. Dylan Bundy. Put him in the bad category. Uh, it definitely wasn't a good start. Four innings, four hits, four earned, four walks. Lots of fours. Only three strikeouts, though. Two home runs allowed in this game against San Francisco Giants, of all teams, entering Tuesday's start. He had allowed just three walks and two home runs all season, Scott. So this was, you know, a little bit of the vintage Dylan Bundy, which we're not used to seeing so far this year with the walks and the home runs being up. The slider giveth and the slider taketh away. He said... It wasn't really working for him in today's start, and the Arsenal isn't so great apart from that pitch. So it doesn't surprise me that in a start, you, you know, he, he threw the slider a season low 19% because it wasn't really working for him. You know, he, he, he deserves a pass, obviously. He wasn't going to have a 157 ERA all season, but if it, it's just a question of how often is that slider going to disappear on him because... If it's more than one every five starts, it could be a problem. I'm not moving him in my rankings based on this start, by the way. I'm, I'm giving him a total pass. I'm just, this is a good reminder 
for the people who were uh, completely convinced Bundy was breaking through as an ace that these things are these things are tenuous. They they can they can wither up just as quickly as they sprouted. I figured something was up, up with the slider on Tuesday because he threw it a season low nineteen percent in in that start against the Giants. So uh, we're not moving Dylan Bundy. Still a you know top twenty five starter as of now. Uh, but let's see. Let's see him bounce back from this in his next start. Someone who also we were looking for the bounce back, Scott. Carlos Carrasco. And this should have been the spot. He was at Pittsburgh against the Pirates. It's a good lineup to go up against. It's a favorable environment to pitch in. Four and a third, five hits, three earned, three walks, five strikeouts for Carrasco. He now has 12 walks over his last three starts, back-to-back starts where he could not escape the fifth inning 14 swinging strikes on 91 pitches, Scott. What's the concern level? Where are we at with Carlos Carrasco? So as far as I can tell, the only thing wrong with Carrasco is just that he's not throwing as much strikes as he usually does, which is evident in the walk rate. But, you know, even actual actually looking at the strike percentage itself, it is way down. It is below league average. Uh, everything else is there. So I feel like that's going to, be something that corrects itself sooner than later. Like he's missing bats. He's throwing basically with his usual velocity. He's been able to throw a lot of pitches every time out. I think he's going to be fine. I'm not really that concerned. It's just the walks recently seem like an aberration for him. The one thing I'll add that worries me, Scott, is the hard contact rate is up at 53% entering Tuesday start against the Pirates. Uh, but if you can acquire Carrasco on the cheap, say you could turn Zach Wheeler into Carrasco, Scott, is that something you would do? Yes. Okay, so we're still looking to, we're still buying Carrasco. You said the hard hit rate is 50%? I have it at 52.9, according to Fangraphs. Oh, okay, you're looking at Fangraphs. Okay, yeah. Yeah, StatCast has it only at 37.3, which is completely in line with his career norms. But... That is discrepancy, the sort of discrepancy we often see between those two sources. Yeah, it's true. Uh, did you realize they have a StatCast page on Fangraphs now? It's pretty interesting. I did not. I haven't, I haven't dabbled with it, but it's under every player's page now. There's now a StatCast page on Fangraphs. Uh, how's the average exit velocity, Scott, if you still have that up? Is, is that it's up in the you? 11th percentile, uh, which isn't good. Yeah, okay. But it's, it's similar to last year. Whatever that's worth. All righty, Scott. Are we ringing all the bells? Are we dropping Nate Pearson, who was at the Baltimore Orioles on Tuesday? Four innings, four hits, five earned, three walks, three strikeouts. Scott, this is two clunkers in a row now for Nate Pearson. Yeah, and this Baltimore one was one where he really needed to bring it, I think, to... Stay in the good graces with uh, his 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 uh, the people who roster him in fantasy, and that was after a Marlins start last time. Man, two good matchups in a row, and they both stunk. They stunk. He's not throwing enough strikes. He's not missing enough bats. I'm still more likely to hold on to him than not because of what I was saying about the starting pitcher position. Like, there's just not enough starting enough useful starting pitchers to roster every team in a league. There just isn't. And so I'd rather have the upside guy than 
than not. You know, I'd rather have Nate Pearson than, uh, I don't know, Danny Duffy. You know, like, <laughs> where are you so supposed good. to turn? <laughs> I, like, I don't trust yeah. him enough to start him anymore in a categories league. You know, most of my categories leagues, I'm starting like, you know, you'd think like nine pitchers. I'm probably going like five, four with starting pitchers and relief pitchers, or maybe even four, five, because that's just the state of starting pitcher right now. And, uh, you know, if, if, if a starting pitcher is only going to go four and a third innings, there's a chance a really good reliever is going to outperform him in strikeouts for the week anyway. So, you know, not to mention ERA and whip. This guy, you asked who? Who am I dropping Nate Pearson for? I'll give you three names right now. Tell me if you'll drop Nate Pearson for any or all of these. Pablo Lopez, Tony Gonsolin, yes. and yes. Kevin Gausman. All of those are rostered in less than 60% of CBS leagues. Okay, well, you found three I'd do it for. Congratulations, Frank. Congratulations. I did Good it. Job. I finally you did, did it. it, Scott. <laughs> <laughs> the Ugly from Tuesday, Masahiro Tanaka against the Rays. Four innings. Eight hits, six runs, five earned, zero walks, two strikeouts. Ah, Tanaka, Scott. Are we dropping Tanaka too? I mean, it's not unheard of. I, I don't think... Tanaka's not this untouchable like he used to be. He, he showed that the past couple years. But in a 12-team league, he probably deserves to be on somebody's roster. I did like that the splitter, he threw it a lot. It was responsible for, I think, most of his swinging strikes. So I was encouraged that it made its first appearance, basically, of the season for for all the good it did him. But, uh, yeah, I mean, Tanaka deserves to be on somebody's roster, but he's probably not going to be an impact player. That's the long and short of it. The same question, Scott. Would you drop him for any of the three names you mentioned? Lopez, Gausman, and Gonsolin. Mm. probably I mean if it's a shallow enough league that those guys are available yeah I'll shoot for the upside rather than play it safe with the guy who I can probably count on having a four ERA <laughs> over the course of a season let's keep the drop train rolling here Scott Mike Miner against the Padres three and two thirds nine hits six earned one walk six strikeouts Scott he's 87% rostered We've seen more yep. bad than good from Mike Miner this year. Does he join the likes of Tanaka and Nate Pearson? Look, I wanted to believe in Mike Miner. I wanted to. You looked at the numbers heading into the season, and there just wasn't much of a case for him. He was not valued at near the level he performed at last year. And now he's throwing two miles per hour less than he did last year. So you add that, plus the fact he had a 460 XFIP last year, like clearly overachieved and it's not surprising he's having the kind of performance he is now i don't i don't have a lot of hope for a rebound there he's hardly undroppable scott remember yesterday when we were talking about all these tigers prospects and, and Tariq scoobal 32 percent rostered someone went out and picked him up he was not very good in his debut we knew he would only pitch around 50 pitches and two innings seven hits four earned one walk one strikeout I mean, we just picked him up. Are we dropping him already, Scott? It wouldn't be it wouldn't be uh, it wouldn't be wrong to drop him right away. I don't think this is necessarily indicative of the way he's going to perform 
for the rest of the time he's up. I, I presume he's up for the rest of the season, though, with a few more outings like this, maybe not. It's, uh, it's, it's difficult to make... It's difficult to debut in the majors. And it doesn't surprise me that he had a stinker. There's nothing really encouraging to point out here, except that we still know Scooble has a lot of talent, and if he continues to get chances, maybe it'll it'll come through at some point. Well, his teammate, Casey Mize, is going on Wednesday. Scott, let's hope that he fares a little bit better than Scooble did in his debut. Scott, I'm going to run through some bullpen notes from Tuesday. Uh, if there's anything that catches your ear or your eye, wherever you're looking or listening then jump in. Feel free. The Rockies, Daniel Bard pitched a clean ninth with the game tied. Yency Almonte pitched the bottom of the 10th up one run, and he allowed a run. So they tied the game, and then Yairo Diaz pitched in the bottom 11th with the game tied, and he allowed a walk-off single. So I, I still think that it's up in the air with the Rockies. We don't really know what's going on with them, but Daniel Bard has probably looked the best. Houston Astros, Ryan Presley pitched the top of the 10th, allowed the runner that starts on second to score on a single, so can't really hold that against him, but he's been yeah, he far from Yeah, he quietly had out. two easy saves in in his his two appearances prior to this one. And then I think Blake... Uh, Blake, what's that guy's name? Blake Taylor? Is that Blake it? Blake Taylor. Yeah, he picked up a save recently. Yeah, he picked up a save after Presley had worked two straight days and needed a day off. So, like, Presley, I think, has kind of uh, solidified that role. And, yeah, you can't really hold against him allowing that run. It's technically not held against him. It's It doesn't count as an earned run. So that's, uh, yeah, I, I think Presley is pretty definitively the Astros closer though as much as he's as uh, the struggles we've seen from him this year obviously you know it could still go wrong for him Scott we might be looking at a similar situation to the Twins with the Padres we all just assumed Drew Pomeranz would come in and be the guy that pitches the ninth well he came in to start the bottom of the seventh on Tuesday he pitched to four batters it was the top of the lineup with the Padres up 6-4 to four at the time. So it was a safe situation, and they still used him in the seventh. Emilio Pagan got the next four outs, and then Cal Quantrill came in for the final out of the game. What? Yeah, I suspect they wanted Emilio Pagan to close that out. I, I think it's pretty obvious they consider Pomeranz their best reliever, and you know maybe just for the lineup turning over because he faced the leadoff man when he came in. Uh, they wanted to make sure they had their best pitcher out there. It's it's funny that Pomeranz has an easier time getting saves when he's not the closer than when he is. <laughs> but there's still, there's still no reliever I'd rather have from that Padres bullpen. And I'm still thinking of Pomeranz as a top 10 reliever going forward. I'm happy that you find that funny, Scott. You said it's oh, funny. It's... it's it's hilarious. It says, saves are not funny, Scott. There's nothing funny or fun about saves. And speaking of that, a team that is synonymous with not being fun for saves is the Tampa Bay Rays. Nick Anderson came in the bottom of the eighth with a three-run lead to face the three, four, and five hitters in the Yankees lineup. Chaz Rowe came in for the save in the ninth. I think it was either the other day or last week. I just kind of joked about, oh, yeah, Chaz Rowe is going to get the next five saves for the Rays. And then he got a save, Scott. <laughs> it's like, yeah, 
would your you guess add, is as good as mine here. That's would, would you add Chaz Rowe in any deeper roto leagues? I don't think so. I, maybe an AL only. Just like maybe every Rays reliever deserves to be owned in a AL only, but I don't think uh, I don't think Rowe is establishing himself as a closer all of a sudden here. Anything else that you wanted to add, Scott? From the bullpen? Or just no. in general? No. Brandon Lau, Luke Voigt, they both hit their eighth home runs of the season today. That's a lot of home runs from two guys who weren't very highly drafted. And Lau especially. His K rate is down from 35% to 25%, which is... That's that's an improvement of skill that is so great on its own that it it completely alters his outlook. But then you get to how hard he's hitting the ball and how rarely he's putting it on the ground, a ground ball rate uh, of 27.6 entering Tuesday, which balls on the ground are a bad idea in the current hitting environment. Uh, not striking out much anymore hitting the crap out of the ball, rarely putting it on the ground. I mean, that looks like a stud profile for Brandon Lau. And, I mean, that's that's somebody I might seriously have to consider moving Jose Altuve behind. Ooh. I hate to say it. That hurts to say. You're, you're, you're grimacing there, too. Some, some takes. Like, from takes. I'm buying from in hard to Brandon Lau now. Yeah. I'm buying in hard. Uh, Luke Voigt is striking out a lot for what it's worth, but he has a 314 XBA anyway because of how hard he's hitting the ball. And he's always had a good line drive rate. So, you know, no concerns there about Luke Voigt, even though the, the K rate is high. And he was leading off for the Yankees. So not your typical leadoff man, but uh, the way that baseball has been trending, I guess it's not really all that surprising, Scott. Let's quickly run through some of the Wednesday probables, Scott, to stream or not to stream I just got to ask, you starting Tyler Glass now at the Yankees, Scott, given his recent struggles? I probably am. Pablo Lopez at home against the Mets? Yes. Casey Mize, debut at the White Sox. Uh, I, I saw the way Tariq Skubal's debut went. Better, better play that one. Better soft pedal that one. Framber Valdez in Colorado. Yee. Uh, probably not. This isn't like Lance Lynn or Zach Gallen going to Colorado. Taiwan Walker against the Dodgers. Nope. Tanner Roark at the Orioles. Nope. Tommy Malone on the other side against the Blue Jays. Nope. Jake Arrieta at the Red Sox. Nope. Alec Mills at home against the Cardinals. Hmm. I don't hate it. Come I on. don't love it. I, I don't Alec hate it. Alec Mills. If it's, if it's Alec Mills or nothing, I go Alec Mills. <laughs> Steven Brault versus Cleveland. Nope. Eric Fetty at Atlanta. Nope. Kyle Wright versus Washington. Nope. Patrick Sandoval at the Giants. Uh, no. Johnny Cueto versus the Angels. Nope. Ryan Castellani versus the Houston Astros. Nah. Someone actually tweeted at me and said, tell Scott he's got to look more into Ryan Castellani. He had a lot of swinging strikes his last start, so I'll just throw it out there. The last but not least, Scott, the Dark Knight, Matt Harvey, is back. Uh-oh. You know what's... <laughs> I was like, whenever I see Scott look away, I know what he's about to do. Uh, yeah, I was going to... 
I was going to channel a Christian Bale voice, but I couldn't remember anything he said from the movie. So that joke wasn't going to go well. So I hit the eject button, but now you've drawn attention to it. And you swear to me. That's from Batman Begins. <laughs> All right. So I'm going to assume that's a no on Matt Harvey. Let's see what happens. It's fun. It's, it's a nice little storyline. Uh, sorry we didn't get to your Apple podcast review questions. We will do that on tomorrow's show. I will find a way no matter what to make that happen for Scott. I am Frank. Thank you all for listening and watching Fantasy Baseball today. We'll be back again tomorrow. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.